Welcome to Blackbird episode number 32. My name is James, and today I am joined by Nick Ashley of the Individualist Podcast. It's a pretty freewheeling conversation, the kind that I like, and I think most of you like as well. There wasn't really an agenda, so I think you're going to enjoy this conversation about a little bit of everything. Just a quick word of warning, I was feeling pretty sick when I was recording, so if my voice sounds slurred or deeper than normal or anything like that, then that's why. No sponsor for today's episode, so I will get right into my interview with Nick Ashley. All right, Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, James. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, totally. So uh, I was on your podcast recently, and we just decided to make a weekend out of it and um, <laughs> kind of do, do a marathon recording session between the two of us. So for the people who don't know who you are, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself? Well, I am Nick Ashley. I host a podcast called The Individualist Podcast, which we, you just said you were on. Um, and I mean, there's not much to tell about me. Like I'm new to this whole sphere. I'm new to social media. The reason I started the podcast was just because I wanted to be able to speak to people and meet folks like you pretty much and, and, and other you know, fellow travelers in this libertarian and cap type of world. And were you going to talk about your Twitter? Yeah, I can do that because I'm down a thousand followers from where I was. I'm at about seven or 800. And on my old account, which was Nick underscore underscore Ashley, that got banned because I dropped a C-bomb and they denied my appeal. I'm appealing again. But anyway, I'm back on Twitter at Nick underscore individual. This is my third account because the second account I made, I changed my name too soon. I'm not experienced with Twitter bans. So I changed my name back to Nick Ashley after like a couple of days because I was told it should be safe. Not the, not the at, just the screen name. Uh, and like immediately the Thanos snapped, like just right away. Everything stopped loading and I went, sure enough, it was banned. So I made another one. Yeah. But I, I don't, I'm really hoping I get the original account back because I had some, like Tom Woods was following me, probably because I'm in his supporting listeners group and he recognized me. Some some of the cool people follow me and uh, I'm hoping that I can get it back. But if not, then I'm, you know, I'm just going to keep building up from where I am now on this new one. I have been on Twitter since 2009, like back when it was a text message platform. I've never been banned, which tells me I'm probably either doing something right or doing something wrong. I guess I don't I don't drop C bombs, but you know well, I, the, I try to the get problem, a little bit provocative. The 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 I, I would have understood if I got like a temporary, like a two or three day or whatever, because I had two 12 hour bans before then, but it was immediate. When I, when I clicked send on the tweet that it did, that, that was the offending tweet, it was right away. So it wasn't like I got mass reported by some people, it was algorithmic. And like I've been so bitter about it the whole time because I'll go back and just if you search the word, I don't know what kind of language you is okay on this show, but um, if you search the word cunt or, or you search like even even worse, like like oh, racial we don't, we slurs. We don't use that word. I thought I thought you were just gonna like drop an f bomb or something. I'm gonna have to close this interview out. Sorry, dude. <laughs> if you search the word any any of the slurs, you'll find them, and and like those won't get on Twitter. I mean, you'll find them. You and people don't get immediately banned for using worse language, in my opinion, than I did. And the terms of um, the rule that I broke was that I used language that was an attack. It's, it's basically hate speech is what they say. But like I said, I've seen worse language like the N-word or the, 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 the F-slur for, you know, for gay folks, stuff like that, which I've seen people get banned for. And I've seen other people not get banned for. So I'm, most, I'm really bitter about it because 
I, they're so inconsistent with the way they enforce their, their rules. And it's really aggravating. Yeah. And by the way, I have, I'm sorry, but I have been sending, because I appealed again and they email me back. You know, they email you the Twitter support thing, sends an automated response and it says, email us with more information if you need to. And I've been sending them screenshots after screenshots after screenshots of language worse than the language I use. Like, look at this, look at this. I don't know if a human is going to see it or not, but I'm just going to keep pestering them until until they either make me stop appealing or like I can't anymore or they give me back the account. <laughs> yeah, I hope it I hope it works out because, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's tough to lose that many followers when you're trying to build a brand, you know? Yeah. So why don't we get into some bio? Like, you know, we've interacted in, on Twitter and in the Tom Woods group and stuff, but I don't really know anything about you and I don't think many people do. First of all, you have this crazy accent. Where are you from? I am from Louisiana, South Central Louisiana, Cajun country. That's fun. So uh, like... Can you like hunt alligators and stuff or? <laughs> no, I cannot. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> don't get your perception of Louisiana from swamp people listeners. Cause we're not all like that. I promise. No, I, I, I'm not, my wife says otherwise, but I don't have, cause Cajun isn't just like a culture. It's also kind of a, a heritage ethnicity type of thing. And I don't have like, I'm maybe like one thirty second or something, you know, I'm like the Elizabeth Warren of Cajun people. Um, so the, uh, if you had to guess and place my accent, would you w- would you have placed it in Louisiana? No, man. I would have put it in like Eastern Europe or something like that. Eastern Europe? Yeah. I, I thought you weren't American. Really? That's a new one. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've had plenty of people tell me they think that I sound like I'm from like New Jersey. People from Louisiana, where I'm from, tell me I sound like I'm from Louisiana. Uh, I'm sorry, not Louisiana. Um, new Jersey, New York, you know, Boston. Some people say I sound like I'm from the Midwest. LB Muniz, who I'm sure you know, yeah, said I sound like uh, I'm from South Florida. So oh, for weird. you to say not even American, that's a brand new one. And I think that's really interesting. Well, Emeril Lagasse, the, the Louisiana chef, sounds like he's from Brooklyn. Is that is that common? Like with Louisiana accents to just sound like everything? I have no idea. I've never, that's so <laughs> I've never really thought about it. Okay, cool. So you, now you're in Georgia, right? Yes. Did you just like move there for college or what, what's the deal? No, there? my wife's job. She was, uh, she graduated with a degree in chemical engineering from uh, Louisiana, UL Louisiana. And uh, that's Lafayette. And then she got a call from a company out here in Georgia a couple of years back. We moved in June of 2018. So we're going to be in, we're going to be making the three year mark this coming June. Great. So you can almost, uh, you can almost register for the LP of Georgia then. Is that, is that right? Uh, well, (laughs) (laughs) cool. So, uh, tell, tell me about the individualist podcast. Why did you name it individualist? First of all, uh, for one, I thought it was some, I consider, hmm, how do I word this? I'm sorry. I never really had to explain this before. There's so many libertarian podcasts. It's almost a, like a a trope, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a meme. Um, and individualism is to me part of what kind of if you if you're looking at things from an individualist perspective, then you're gonna get a lot of stuff right. And another reason was because the reason I am like I used to be sort of a milk toast kind of lame libertarian whenever I was you know 20 or 21. And then what really pushed me over the edge to being like I call myself an ANCAP, but I don't know because capitalism is a dirty word for a lot of people and it has so many different definitions. So market anarchist, whatever, just we're like a Rothbardian libertarian, but I'm down with, I'm down with your ANCOMs because if they're cool, stuff like that. But anyway, 
what really put me over the edge was discovering the Austrian school. And that is based on the individual's actions and, you know, the way the Misesian approach and the Mangarian approach to how economies work, that really took me and said, oh, okay, this is, this is the real thing. This is it. And it's all from an individualist perspective. So everything, I wanted to have a good name. And there's a couple of other podcasts called Individualist or The Individualist, but those are more about, uh, the, I found two of them, and those are more geared toward like a self-sufficient, uh, self-sufficient kind of thing. Almost like a Randian perspective from what I yeah. from what I gather from the descriptions. But I thought it fit me because that's like I look at people as individuals. That's how I describe part of my, you know, philosophy. Do you think that like libertarianism is necessarily individualist? Is like you hear you hear a lot of, especially from Reason, like you hear it on the Reason podcast every few weeks, <laughs> that we're libertarians, so we're individualists, or something along those lines. Do you think that they're part and parcel with one another, or is that a little more thick libertarian than, than you'd go? Uh, n- n- no, I would say I'm a libertarian because I'm an individualist and not the other way around. And I don't know if libertarian, we actually had a discussion like this in your, in the, in a group chat that I'm in. Um, well, you're in that group chat and you saw it, but uh, somebody was making a point that libertarian is inherently individualistic. And when I started to think about it, I had never thought about it in those terms that this other guy was bringing up. And the more I think about it, the less I think that libertarianism is inherently individualistic as long as your collectivist ideology is voluntary. Because I think mm. that like anarcho-communism or libertarian socialism, while I don't think it would, I mean, this is, people say this about market anarchism or anarcho-capitalism, but my criticism of like ANCOMs is just that I just don't think that it would work very well. I think that private property is the way to solve a lot of the issues that you, you know, that face us whenever we have a free market and uh, no government, you know, or no, no state. So I don't think anarcho-communism would work, but if it's voluntary, I think they're just as libertarian as other people, as long as, because libertarianism to me is just about non-aggression, really. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's the other thing. People, uh, in fact, you know, people in our circles, Dave Smith defines libertarianism as the non-aggression principle and private property. Mm-hmm. So do you go that far or do you think it's just the nap? I think that the nap is, and another thing too, I want to say this. I don't, I'm not one of these people that just thinks that the non-aggression principle, I think it's a good guideline to the, to acting. I don't think that it's like the only thing that matters, obviously, but I think private property is incredibly important to my, my personal ideology and my like brand, if you will, of libertarianism. But I would just say that libertarianism is all about voluntarism and less about, because you can have, you can have communally owned, quote unquote, communally owned property or like a worker co-op type of thing. And that's perfectly compatible with a libertarian society. It's a perfectly valid way to organize your, your town or your city or your, your region or whatever. Uh, and without private property, like I say, I don't think it will work very well and I wouldn't want to live there, but it's a perfectly legitimate way to do it. And it's compatible with libertarianism. Uh, as a political and you know social philosophy, for sure. Yeah, I guess I think of libertarianism as more of an inclination than a than a definable thing, really. Right. Yeah. So, like, uh, even Magnus Panvidia and people kind of in his camp, he's a mutualist. So, I mean, they're basically ANCAPs, except that you know they have a problem with ownership of land because right. you know you can you can mix your labor with the land and build something, but you're not actually building the land itself. Cool. So that's, that's philosophy, man. 
how do you define individualism then? My main way of looking at as like individualism, and I get the thing about I actually got some person was really freaking out on me on Twitter yesterday because I made fun of a a female model. I didn't even make fun of anybody. There was a picture. <laughs> this is a little bit of a tangent. I will answer your question, but I just want to say this. Um, there was a picture of like this female model who had uh, like a mustache that she had dyed blue with like blue mascara or blue eyeliner or something. And it was a close-up shot. Really gross because you could see all the pores and like she had a couple of ingrown hairs. And it was a shot from like Glamour UK, some fashion outlet in the UK. And it just said this, you know, something about the mustache and, 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 and empowering women and whatever. And I just quote tweeted that with no. That's all I said. And this person was saying, I'm not an individualist because I'm not comfortable with some other people's personal preferences. And I'm just sitting here like, what, what does that have to do with not being, I just looked at that and I was like, Ugh, I don't like that. So just say no, that's all I said. But anyway, <laughs> and the, I'm sorry, the, this poor girl that was going after me, I think she, I think she had some kind of issue, not to be rude, but eventually she like apologized and was like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this. And I was like, all right, it's fine. Just, just chill, take a break and go, go have a good evening. But individualism is just, look. this is going to, it might be tautological to say this, but it's looking at people as individuals. And part of what I mean when I say that is any of your involuntary associations with any groups, like the family you come from, the race that you are, the eye color you have, the hair color you have, uh, your gender, you know, your sexuality, none of that, any, any of your involuntary things that like the country you're from, any of that ultimately is not what we should judge you on. We should judge you on who you are as a person and the way you behave toward, you know, toward other people. And do not, do not assume things and ascribe to people traits and attributes because of a involuntary association that they have, whether it be any of the things I mentioned or, I don't know, um, just any involuntary group that they're a part of. Or any part of a group that they, any group that they are a part of involuntarily by their circumstances of their birth, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. And so, and by extension also, you know, the individual's opinions on a woman with a mustache, for instance. <laughs> and uh, another key is what is good for an individual or what is bad for an, for an individual outside of like weird things as like lactose intolerance or like an allergy you have to something. Because like, I could say milk is good for you because it's got calcium and protein and stuff. But obviously, if you're lactose intolerant, that won't apply to you. So outside of weird circumstances like that, what is good for individuals, like actions that they take, is necessarily good for a group of individuals to do that same thing. You know, like uh, specifically from things like an economic standpoint. Again, we're going to go back to a little bit of Austrian economics. But like a lot of if you look at the economy, quote unquote, it's just the collection of individuals that are making their choices and buying products and doing work and providing a service to buy their other services and products. So if they're, if an individual is doing something that's bad, it's going to be bad for a group of individuals to do that same thing or, and vice versa, you know, good. Yeah, that makes sense. What, uh, who were like your, your influences? You said you found Austrian economics first, but like who were you the, the one person who read Mises first? No, no. So <laughs> the way that it worked was, uh, uh, I know you know Backwards and Eric July's band for sure, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So I probably told this story a couple of times, but I like telling it because it's just a testament to the work that that guy does, Eric July and, and the guys in Backwards. Phenomenal music. I had found, um, I had heard this, I don't remember. No, this is what it was. I had heard a song on Spotify that I could not... I could not find again. It was just in one random playlist I was listening to. So I looked up on YouTube. I was like, top 
you know, it was like a metalcore song that had rap in it. It wasn't backwards, but I was like on YouTube, just metalcore rap. It's like, I think is what I searched up. And it was top 10 metalcore metal rap tracks of 2018. And the number one song on there was self-ownership by backwards. So I started listening to backwards. And in that song, that self-ownership, it's, you know, it talks about, um, it's basically an exposition of like libertarian ideology, the whole thing. And it's really great. And then another song that they have, he specifically says, there's a lyric that says, read the road to serfdom. So road to serfdom was the first libertarian writing that I read. Damn. Wow. Yeah. So, but the way that it worked was I had, I had kind of gotten into it from just YouTube searching Eric July. And when I discovered the term anarcho-capitalism and I discovered, obviously discovered Rothbard from that, all the, you know, the YouTube algorithm put Tom Woods onto the front page. So I started listening to Tom Woods show and that was it. He's taught me everything since then pretty much. And then, you know, the people that are associated like Bob, Bob Murphy, everybody at the Mises Institute, uh, Scott Horton and, and so on. So I've always thought of like libertarian art, so to speak, as like surely preachy. And I honestly, I've never listened to backwards. I'm, I'm not into not into that kind of music. It's just too heavy for me. I'm, God, I went to high school at a prep school in the nineties. And so I'm real into Dave Matthews. Like that's, that's my style of music. So, but like when I hear um, like that dude that uh, Jordan Page, when I hear his music, I just cringe. Like I'm not familiar with him. He's a he's he's been on Tom Woods' show a bunch. He's he was like the the soundtrack for the Ron Paul campaigns. And like no no disrespect, he's he does great work, but like it just reminds me of like Christian rock, you know, like just trying to get the message out there. So it's cool that Eric July's music has hit somebody, and maybe I'll have to listen to it now that with with fresh ears. Do you think that there's a lot of people who have a similar kind of I don't want to say testimony, that also sounds Christian, but like similar uh path like finding it through just accidentally actualized music well for me the thing about it is for me i think i would have discovered it eventually regardless because i knew who michael malice was i didn't mm-hmm. know he was an anarchist i had i had known him because of his association with uh, anthony cumia uh so i knew who michael malice was oh, cool. and i kind of yeah i kind of discovered like when i when it, when it kind of came around and found out he was like associated with tom woods and, and dave smith and all these guys that i knew but i think uh probably a lot of people have a similar path where they discover it through some form of art. But I mean, Eric July's, that, the, the album they released was pretty big, particularly for like a strictly, like expressly libertarian uh, yeah. music. So I think a lot of people probably have had a similar trajectory as me. Isn't um, the name of their album like Human Action or something like that? Like, No, the, the name of the album is Veracity, but they have a song on it called Praxeology. That's the song theology, that says, okay. read the road to serfdom. Yeah. Nice. Do you know, are there any other libertarian artists who are kind of making it big or well the biggest probably that i know uh and they're not like an expressly libertarian band but the singer phil labani for you know, all that remains oh sure uh, yeah 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 and they have a couple like they have a song on one of their albums called sing for liberty and you can pick up the libertarian like the one you know the leave me alone kind of theme and the um kind of self-sufficient kind of theme too and but other than that i don't know of a whole lot i know there are some artists who like I think the singer from Attila, Franz, is is a libertarian type of guy, but their music they make like party metal is what I, what I call it because it's just like it's like it's like crunk metal. It's weird, but uh, other than all that remains and backwards, there's not really off the top anybody off of the top of my head that's really like a bigger band. 
Come to think of it, there's also JJ Boogie, who's from. Uh, he was in Arrested Development. I'm sure he still is, you know, associated with him. But uh, I think he's doing some solo work right now, and he's been on. God, he's he's like in the Monica Perez camp of libertarianism, which I I, I love. You know, it gets a little it gets a little woo woo conspiracy for me, but uh, you know, I yeah. I would never not recommend someone listen to her um, or him. And actually, Arrested Development was like one of my childhood favorite bands. My parents had their CDs and stuff, so that's cool. And then we've also got a lot of visual artists like Top Lobster. Yeah, yeah, he he made a shirt for me. Yeah, I saw uh, that. And, I was looking through he, his Instagram earlier. Yeah, he's he's great. He makes he makes he makes all the art for Joshua Smith's uh, shows, and he's makes he makes all kind of great shirts. I've got a couple of them. So when I was on your show, which by the time people are listening to this, it will have been a couple of weeks ago, actually. We talked a lot about like strategies for liberty. And I think we kind of concluded that everybody's right. Like the agorists are right. Uh, the Tho bishops are right. The ANCAPs or the, the Mises guys are right. And even the Prags are kind of right, as long as they're you know focusing on getting people elected and not libertarian ideology. Because mm-hmm. God, they're horrible on that. But what... Why don't we kind of recap that, or can you give your opinion since I was giving it on, giving mine on your show? Sure, yeah. Like I said uh, during the Tho Bishop episode that I had on my show, um, agorism is to show people the way, as in subvert, subvert the state, which is what they do, and to show people how to live their life and avoid the state as much as possible. That's that's a huge uh, thing that people need to know. Uh, the Libertarian Party and the the, the party archy, as the agorists would refer to it as party artists they they are there to show people the light and show like they're like this shining beacon in this crazy world of statism and then the republican party is the way to get things done on a grand big scale whether it's statewide or federal and my i what i want to do personally i don't think i spoke about this on any on any show or anything that i've been on or any episodes of my own but what i want to do is charity events. Like I want to organize a food drive in my city and just feed some hungry kids and maybe wear like a Mises caucus shirt and just have that there for people to look at and say, what's this about? And if like two people go home and look up Libertarian Party Mises caucus, then that's a win. Or if one person or people ask me about it at the thing. But what I want to do is do like that kind of stuff, charity and live the philosophy. And there's some people, I want to get an LP chapter started in my county here uh, before we move back home, which will be this year. We're going to be moving back home to Louisiana, uh, but we, I want to try to get an LP chapter started here and work locally. Because if you can work locally, we discussed this, you and I, if you get some local people elected, what I want to try to do is put pressure on some of these local politicians and hopefully make it up to like a, a state level and put pressure on these people to to stop, you know, like constitutional carry, things like that, like real, real issues that we can tangibly see, try to f- keep crack down on uh, the police brutality, keep, keep people like drug decriminalization we've seen in over states and show people that nullification exists, state nullification, stuff like that. I think that that's a really good thing that you could start from a grassroots local movement. And that's the kind of stuff that I want to try to do. Awesome. That's a, that's been Spike Cohen's primary kind of means of getting the message out there as well. Um, even during the the campaign, but even more so since then, he was piped in over Zoom at our state convention this year because, you know, he was doing something in, in Knoxville, Tennessee or yeah, something like that. I think it was Knoxville. So, yeah, I think that's probably, I mean, just, you know, showing people, showing people the way through our actions rather than telling them to read a fucking book. Right, right. And like, like I said, I think what I want to try to do, because anybody can just do 
you know, some rich donor can do charity, but that's if I'm in there and I'm in the I'm in the weeds and I'm handing out bag lunches to hungry kids, it's hard to look at me and be like, oh, he's just doing that for a tax write-off. Kind of, you know what I mean? Um, or and you know, in fact, something that's going on. If I don't know if you saw this, you may have it may have come across your timeline on social media, but there a buddy of mine, Clint. Uh, he is his his hometown in Kansas has been flooded and a bunch of houses are going to be destroyed and people Jeez. are going to be in desperate need of help. And something I want to try to do is at least if, if not just get the message out there to say, Hey guys, if you can go help, please go and help because any helping hand is, is a huge, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge uh, thing for people that are in desperate need like that. But uh, I, I helped rebuild. There was some flooding like that, that happened in 2016 in Louisiana when we were still living there um, and very similar, you know, water five feet high in people's houses. And my uncle and I, it ended pretty poorly. I don't want to get into that because it's kind of sad, but my uncle and I like rebuilt people's kitchens. We made cabinets and and uh, and even some like bathroom cabinets and stuff like that. So that's the kind of stuff that libertarians need to be going and doing. It's like, you, look, you don't even bother depending on the state to for aid. Don't even bother depending on these like state sanctioned charities, like what the Red Cross or the Salvation Army. Don't even bother with them because they're mm-hmm. worthless. And he's, my friend Clint, he's he's already said like people aren't getting crap from the Salvation Army or from the Red Cross or any of these people. They're not helping worth a damn. So this is an opportunity for people that really put their money where their mouth is and go help out and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Is that Clint from Liberty Lockdown? Or no, uh, it's. I'm sorry. This might take a second, but I need to go and I need to go and get his at because he's in a, he's in a few group chats. I mean, it shouldn't be long. Oh, cool. um, his his name is at Wise Guy one zero one five, and Wise is spelled with a Z. W I Z E G U Y one zero one five. So his he's got it on his his pin tweet is this. It's a Natoma, Kansas. So and if if this is not the thing about it is. Don't feel like you have to do something like right this second. And people that are listening to this who are interested, because this is going to be a very long term thing. You don't just rebuild houses yeah. right right away. And and he's got a there's a GoFundMe page that's set up, and it's the pinned tweet on his profile. If you're interested, anybody who's listening. But the the point I'm getting at is this is something that I think libertarians need to be more involved in their local communities, helping helping out whenever something like this happens to show them, hey, we mean what we say. Whenever we tell you you don't need welfare, you don't need food stamps because your neighbor will help you out. It means a lot more coming from somebody who actually goes there and does the things that they're preaching. Yeah, I'll make sure to link to that tweet as well. Uh, it looks like the. We've got a PayPal donation set up, so we can mm-hmm. we can certainly help out. So you said that you were building cabinets for people and it didn't turn out well. What a uh, is it going to make you cry if you, if I if I ask no, you? No, 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 no. It's fine. I can I can talk about it. Um, my uncle is a like a pale head. Uh, the one who the one oh, I yeah. built it with very good, like artistic, builds beautiful things. He built this gigantic dresser that he probably could have sold for five thousand dollars. Like he's very good at this stuff, and he's 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 a uh, a very talented craftsman, but he was, uh, what happened was he would get deposits from people to buy the initial, because he was, he was giving people very fair prices. This is a thing. We weren't making, we weren't making a lot of money from it. It was, we were making some money, but it was mainly to help out because the, my, it was a neighborhood my grandmother lived in. Uh, and, and she wound up moving out after the flooding and just went live with, you know, assisted living or something. But he was kind of living in her house and rebuilding it while also helping out other people. So he was using the, the profits from that to rebuild the, my grandmother's house. 
So he was he was doing everything he was doing was great. We weren't we weren't making mint off of the stuff. We were making enough to keep the lights on, buy the stuff to rebuild my grandmother's house, and a little bit a little bit of money for our services, you know. Um, but what happened was he went he took a round of deposits and just fucking left and went to Texas, like West Texas, and just disappeared off the map. Oh damn! Yeah. So it, it and and I feel I wish there was something I could have done about it, but everybody nobody has contact with the son of a bitch. Do you still do woodwork, woodworking? No, or I were don't. You just helping him out. Okay. Yeah, I was. I was. It was. I was helping out, and and it was for a little money on the side for me. I've been like addicted to these um, wood turning videos where they they use a lathe to make all yeah. kinds of crazy stuff. It's mesmerizing. Uh, I know it really is. I like. I I just have them playing in the background all the time, and it's something that I'm interested in getting into just because I'm kind of obsessed with side hustles. Do you have any uh, like side gigs or anything like that that you're doing? Are you monetizing your podcast? I do not. I'm not monetizing it. Uh, I I don't know if I will or not. That's not why I got into it. But I may uh, I may eventually start just because it'll be something. It'll be worth it. I'm sure at, at some point. But I'm not right now. I don't have any side gigs. Um, I'm just I'm a mechanic, and that's my that's my real job. And and I work a lot now, so I don't have a whole lot of time yeah. otherwise. I work for a software company. I'm uh, a <laughs> I'm just constantly sitting at a desk, uh, yeah. just like I'm like the same desk I'm sitting at right now. So uh, it, I, I would love to be doing something with my hands. Although I did just get a garden, like a, like a good little agorist. Um, I've got my garden planted mm-hmm. out back now. Where did you come from politically? Were you conservative or like it sounds like you were into Anthony Cumia? So maybe you were just uh, into whatever whatever was edgy. But uh, did you have an well, ideology? Yeah, yeah. I kind I kind of did. Uh, I I I was basically an establishment like Republican Fox News watching type of guy. Cause my dad, my dad's a good conservative and I'm bringing him over to libertarianism as, as I go through this stuff too. I'm taking him along on this journey with me. Kind of like he, he sent me texts every now and then, Hey, I'm listening to Scott Horton on Tom Woods right now. Or like, I just, I just read fool's errand. Just, wow. I can't believe they fooled me kind of stuff. And uh, on my old, on my account, that's now banned. You would see me posting screenshots of like the text between he and I, that, that was just like, Son, I can't believe, like, I just listened to Tom Woods and I can't believe, you know, X, Y, or Z. And like, I just, I sent him the Monopoly on Violence, the, the, the documentary. And he was like, wow, that was good and stuff. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, he, he watched Fox News and he was always good about fiscal, like he's a literal, like an actual fiscal conservative, not a Republican complain about spending when Democrats are in office, fiscal conservative. So that, I had a good base there, like economically, like sort of, but the war stuff we were, I wasn't good on, you know, I was, when I, and this is granted, this is whenever I was in high school and the way that I worded it in a blog post I wrote is like, there's no better ideology for an immature teenage boy than neoconservatism. Cause it's all about mm-hmm. blowing up the bad guys and taking over and crushing all the, you know, crushing all the small peasants that, you know what I mean? Um, and loving the military, loving the tanks and the guns, which that's cool to love like guns and stuff. Not don't get don't get that twisted, listeners. I don't mean it that way, but just loving the militaristic nonsense. Like, oh, this is cool because they're tactical and they go in and they get the bad guys. And it's like a childish view of the world where it's like good guys and bad guys, you know. Mm. So it's perfect, perfect for an immature teenage high school kid that I was. But eventually, what happened, this is a very funny way. This is a very funny thing. I wonder if this happened to anybody else. I would love to hear it if you have. But uh, Obama, basically all the Fox News that we were watching, all they did was criticize Obama. And that included whether he was soft on a country or whether he was too hard on a country because he previously said he was going to do the opposite, right? So whenever, a perfect example of this is whenever this stuff started happening in Syria and he, he like promised 
at the podium. I am not going to send anybody to Syria. I promise you there will be no boots on the ground in Syria. And then eventually it came out that there was like a few, like three or four, like a handful of American special forces that went to Syria and Fox News was all over it. There's boots on the ground in Syria. He's breaking it. So that was like, Eventually, it got to the point where Obama was such a warmonger and I hated Obama so much that I started to hate war. You know, it, it really is a no ideological progression there other than I hated Obama. So I hated what he was doing. So I started to hate war because he waged a lot of war. <laughs> and That's then, so funny. Yeah, that kind of opened. It just comes from a place of immature, like um, immature indignation. Like, hmm, he's doing things he said he wasn't going to do. I hate this guy. And then eventually it kind of just that opened the door that war skepticism opened the door for me to be like maybe it's really not good that we're waging war in 17 countries right now you know and uh killing people is bad and then eventually that kind of i kind of became like a cruddy libertarian where i would just like like if i was in the same place i was whenever i was 20 i would be one of the ones saying like one of the private company bro kind of guys you know (laughs) what i mean uh but then eventually i discovered backwards and like i said earlier it was all over from there yeah, the private company thing, um, I've only recently come around to kind of understanding how libertarianism as an ism can be reconciled with kind of opposing these giant state-aligned corporations. Right. It was a, it was a huge roadblo- roadblock for me. Me too. I was living with my grandparents at the, at the boots on the ground time. By then, I think I was a Ron Paul fan, like, but my grandfather would fall asleep watching Bill O'Reilly every single night. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I think I think I remember that. God, wow. I guess I didn't I didn't follow it well enough to like realize that they kept flipping their their narrative. Like I just I at that point I, I was still very blue pilled, and like I saw I saw Fox as the as the conservative news network and MSNBC as the progressive and CNN as the centrist. Like it it was just yeah. I think Trump Trump really for better or worse exposed a whole lot of that. I think that's probably the, the the best part of his legacy is the number of people who have become aware of the the cathedral. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it's so funny because the Fox was very, I, I remember this so clearly because I was in the same place. Like it, it's, they were so inconsistent with the way, it, it didn't make sense and it was completely incoherent because whenever Obama was talking about taking troops out of Iraq, they were all, we can't come out of Iraq. We can't, and then whenever they wind up doing it. I know it's more, there's more to the story than this and any good, anybody who knows anything knows this, but then ISIS was created and they were like, you see, that's what happens when you pull out of a country. They so the power vacuum, blah, blah, blah. But they were complaining that he was sending people to Syria at the same time. It was so cr- like now thinking back on it, it was so insane, dude. And then uh, Libya, like some people were, some, some of the Fox news people were good about Muammar Gaddafi being killed. They were like, this is stupid. We don't need to be involved in Libya. So all of, it was so crazy, but I, I was lucky enough or like, I, I don't know if I would consider myself that I was smart enough or critical. I thought about it critically enough. I don't know what it was, but I happened upon the path that I was like, Oh, Obama doing these waging the wars is bad. And that kind of led me to the pulling out was good. You know? You're about 10 years younger than me. Did you ever go through the like libertarianism equals the constitution phase? Yeah, eventually. At one point, I considered myself to be like a constitutional conservative. And the reason that people fall into that, and it's, it's okay. Like I, I understand. I'm not criti- I, I do criticize. There are valid criticisms of you know, the constitution. I kind of take the Lysander Spooner approach to it now. But the constitution is a good document. The ideals are good. But 
you know, that's, it's just impossible for a government to adhere to a piece of paper at the end of the day. But yeah, I, 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 I thought if you look at the if you look at the Constitution and like the Jeffersonian ideal, I do think that I know he didn't write the Constitution. I just know that yeah, Jeffersonian, you know. But uh, as an ideal, yeah, I think it's pretty libertarian. And if somebody would just follow the Constitution, they'd be a solid libertarian. That makes sense. Sure. I remember uh, Googling, like, what's the difference between the Libertarian Party and the Constitution Party? And even people who were writing about it at the time couldn't really articulate the difference between the two, though. Um, And to me, that's like that's like the biggest stain on Ron Paul's legacy is that he focused so hard on the Constitution that the people who don't know what libertarianism is, a lot of them think of it as like just strict adherence to the constitution, which is fine. But then you get into like the Ted Cruz, you start going down that path where, you know, Ted Cruz or, you know, any of the other kind of terrible, but constitution focused politicians who will justify almost any federal action and also preach constitutionalism kind of wrapped around it. Yeah, it's difficult. I think the way I, the way I put it when I was, I don't remember who, I think it was still Bishop I was speaking to about it, but it's like the constitution has, good if you're because Lysander Spooner said you know his quote is I'm not going to get it I'm not going to get it perfect but it's like the constitution has either permitted such a government to exist or has been powerless to prevent it therefore it is unfit to exist now he also made the point and this is crucial he also made the point that if you as a politician or any state actor of any kind if you swore an oath to defend and uphold and keep to what is in that constitution, and you do not do that, then you're a criminal and you should be strung up. Yeah. You know, and that's something that people miss with the, the like the, I call it the spoon pill, like the Lysander Spooner, you know, people, people who get hit with Spooner and it's like, whoa, they, you know, and it's good that Spooner was, was profound for that. Um, but people that take the spoon pill, they, they seem to forget that he actually said, no, you should definitely criticize politicians for not adhering to the constitution because they swore to do it. And as like a, as a, he was a lawyer. So as a, as far as a contract goes, they're breaching contract. And what's breaching contract, what's breaching the constitution other than like treason? So it's like, these people should be strung up, you know, in kinder words than I would say. But metaphorically, it's good to roll up like a newspaper and whack over the head like you would a dog that pissed on the floor if they violate, you know what I mean? That's what the constitution is good for. It's like, hey, dummy, you're supposed to be following these things here and you're not doing it. So if you're putting pressure on a politician to be better, the constitution is a great tool for that. And a lot of people miss that that's like a point Spooner made too. I mentioned red pill and blue pill earlier and you just said spoon pill. And it reminded me that that's something that I've been really thinking about lately. What What is your take on all these pills? Uh, I think that they're they're good for like a shorthand among our in-group. But if you're talking sure. to like a, if you're talking to somebody who's blue pilled and you're like, yeah, bro, the cathedral and you need to take the red pill or you should be white pilled because this is why that's a good, you know, that's probably not the best move, but it's a good shorthand for people who know what you're talking about. But yeah. I, I, I think they're perfectly legitimate. Like if, like if the red pill as Michael Malice like defines it and as kind of crud, I can't mention small bug as he defined it was like recognizing that the cathedral exists and they lie. That's pretty much all it comes down to. Yeah. Like recognize, yeah, that's really all it is. And Scott, like Scott Horton said, he doesn't like the term cathedral because why not just call them the establishment and cathedral kind of has a negative, um, it has negative ties because people think that Moldbug is like this alt-right, virulent, racist kind of guy. And he's really not. But some of those neo-reactionary guys are really 
they're not good on everything and they're but it's important to know i think mold bugs work is very good anyway yeah the it's just recog- the red pill is just recognizing that the cathedral which is basically the big like conglomeration and networking web of the government on any level the media you know the press and like colleges who are basically all the driving force behind this really Woodrow Wilsonian progressive hellhole that this country is right now and that they lie to do that that's pretty much all it is if you and the i saw a, a headline or a tweet from somebody saying about Chris Cuomo being wrong about something like why how many more mistakes is CNN going to let Chris Cuomo make and i'm like to be blue pilled is to believe that Chris Cuomo is making mistakes that's his name Chris he's he's the press guy right yeah Not yeah yeah okay. andrews the governor that's right. Okay. I always get them too confused. You know, all Italians look alike. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have as, a, a, as a New Yorker, you should know that. <laughs> Forget about it. Um, <laughs> so, by the way, anyway, now, that, now that I know you're a coon ass, like I can totally hear it. I'm glad you know the word coon ass. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad you know that word. I, sidebar, since you said that, uh, I worked at, I used to work at a chemical plant, which is actually the place my wife works right now. A lot of black folks that work there. Georgia's got a lot of black folks, a large population in the area. A lot of black folks that worked at that chemical plant. And I was talking about something, like some, some superstition that Cajuns have to two white guys. And I said, I said the word coon ass. And there was a black guy in the doorway. Oh, right? shit. Yeah. yeah. He was sitting there cracking up because I think he knew I didn't mean, I, he knew I didn't mean like a racist thing, but, but he was like over there cracking up and the two white guys I was talking to were looking at me like, dude, <laughs> but I, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. It, it just means Cajun. It just means Cajun, yeah, I swear. Well, that's, that's the thing. I, I didn't even think about it, but like in, in African-American vernacular English, like the word ass, just like if you say like with your coon ass, like you're, yeah. you're referring to someone as a coon. As a coon, right, right. That's a so I, yeah. I get. I can see where that would that might cause some confusion. Shit. Yeah, yeah. It's so like the guy the word, that, it's like the word niggardly, which just means stingy. <laughs> like I mean, yeah. uh, I totally forgot what we were. I have no oh, idea. I just uh, I just Chris let Cuomo. us down a complete. Yeah, there no, you that's go. okay. Thanks. It's it's okay. Chris Cuomo had like, yeah. He, he said something that was quote unquote wrong. And he said uh, so. Somebody on Twitter was like, "How many more mistakes is CNN going to let Chris Cuomo make?" And I'm like. If you think he's making mistakes, that's like the definition of the blue pill. You think that this guy's mm. just—he's trying to do his best, but he's—he's he's getting stuff wrong. It's like no, he's actively lying. You think he's not lying to cover up his brother's crimes? Come on. Yeah, like uh, fucking Dave Rubin, who I used to love, he just recently tweeted something or sent something in his email list or something like that. But it's like uh, he's re- interviewing some people because the media was hypocritical about Israel. Like, I yeah. Mean, what? Of course, of course, the media was hypocritical <laughs> about Israel. What are you still like? The the media should be logically consistent. You still yeah. actually think that? Like, you know, another part, another part of the red pill that I, uh, I've kind of thought up is the word corruption, and like when you're talking about a government official being involved, like having cronies or whatever, like getting kickbacks from a corporation, that's not corruption. Okay, corruption kind of implies that something is wrong with what's going on and the system is working in a way that it's not supposed to because somebody is acting out of line. This con- this government is corporatist. That's how it is supposed to operate. It's evil. Evil is the word to use. 
evil, bad, whatever. It's not corruption. Corruption would imply that something's going wrong. It's not going wrong. That's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> you know. You know what I mean? As planned. Yeah. It's, it's it's working exactly as it's set up to work. It's not corruption. Corruption would be it's working in a way that it's not supposed to be working. And it's it, it, we're basically this quasi-fascist, like corporatist government that we have. That's how it's supposed to work. This corruption is part of the game. So it's not even corruption at that point. Like definitionally. So corruption versus like acting as planned. I, I think that's right. Like the dictionary definition of of corruption is something like working at odds to its stated purpose or something like that. Or maybe I'm gonna, it's, I'm it's gonna check it. Word. I'm gonna pull it up right now. Yeah, do it. Dis dishonest or fraudulent conduct by those in power, typically involving bribery, or then the second definition, the process by which something. Oh, never mind. That's actually saying like the corruption of a definition of a word. So dishonest or fraudulent. Well, now that I'm actually looking at the definition, maybe I'm wrong. I just well, think people use the word corruption wrong because do you see what I mean though? Do you yeah, get yeah, the yeah, point yeah. I was Cause, making? Because the, the when you think of something that's corrupted, like you could have like a like a corrupted engine or something like that, which that engine is corrupted not because like it's you know well the it's second definition bribes, but is, because uh, it, it has you know worn down and is no longer working according to how an engine is supposed to work. My my point is though like. Dave Smith made a point about like the way Hillary Clinton or somebody like her will speak and say something about the America, the interests of America. Well, you know, like it's in America's interest to kill because she really was all giddy about getting Muammar Gaddafi killed. She she looked like she was quivering in excitement when it happened. Do you remember that shit? Yeah, like she yeah, said, yeah. The, she we, was like, we came, we came? We saw yeah. Die. <laughs> yeah, she was. So she was full of just fervor for that guy's death. So. When she says, if she would have said, I don't know if she ever specifically said this verbatim, but if she was like, it is, um, it is in America's best interest that Muammar Gaddafi was killed. By America, she doesn't mean you and me. She doesn't mean the, the plumber who's fixing the guy's house down my street over there, you know, whatever. She doesn't mean American people. She means the corporate hegemony that is the United States government, which is true. She's not, she's not being dishonest there. That's not dishonesty and it's not fraudulent, you know, per the definition of corruption. That, that's just her saying, yeah, this corporate, this is the best way for us to do what we want to do as the corporate hegemony that we are, you know? So it's not corruption. But that, that's kind of the point I was making. She's not being dishonest. She's just using it using a different definition of America than you or I would think. Let's switch gears a little bit. So you're a pretty pretty permanent fixture on the Tower Gang podcast, right? Yes, sir. Cool. Tell me about that. What first of all, what's the Tower Gang, and then also how did you guys uh, how did you guys start the the little live stream that you do every week? Ah, uh, this is this has got us some shit because they people think <laughs> okay. So you know how I want to preface this before I get into it because I don't I don't. So, because this has caused trouble with like OG people, but you know how whenever like a meme kind of reaches the mainstream, it just kind of gets ruined and it sucks now. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, and people, there's this hipster aspect to it where you were like, yeah, I knew about it before it was cool or before it was popular kind of thing. That's a, the people, by the way, that's, that's one of the reasons that I'm a little resistant to like introducing new pills because I think red pill and blue pill have meaning because they're because they're culturally significant from the matrix. Yeah. Whereas black and yeah. white pill are, you know, uh, I don't know. And then clear pill is really just red pill. Um, yeah. And then fucking the orange pill where you've, you've gotten into Bitcoin. Like, come on. You I didn't just, even know that they, that was a thing. Yeah. Just put laser eyes on or something like that. If you're into Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> so anyway, sorry. The, no, no. So the meme, the meme loses its meaning. Culturally. Yeah. 
there's this kind of hipstery, and it's understandable. Like whenever something reaches like a wider audience than either than either was originally like intended or expected, and normies latch onto it, and they're like, oh yeah, and they act like they were always kind of down with it from day one type of deal, and it's it's aggravating whenever you're whenever it was something that you originally kind of either created or uh, you know were part of at the very beginning when it was very niche. And then it reaches this wider audience, and you're like, you don't even know what this is, dude. The kind, um, that stupid. I don't know. I don't even know the exact quote, but I think it's. I don't even. I've never seen this movie. I've just seen it in meme form with the lion from the the the, the Narnia movie. It's like, oh, yeah. do not do not recite the text to me. I was there when it was written. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that yeah. that that kind of thing. And I understand it. So this caused some trouble with like the original guys, the original people who were really starting to do towers on journalists and stuff like that and blue checks was that they looked at us doing this because we kind of like, we're kind of like second generation guys. I don't think any of us that are on the tower gang show are like OG members of like what you would call the tower gang because it didn't start with us. It started with a couple of dudes who would just spam the N word or the F word at a journalist, you know, just, 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 just to be, just to be incendiary, right. Doing God's work pretty much. (laughs) on these blue checks. But anyway, so it evolved into, it reached a wider group of people. And like, I was one of the second people in the second wave that discovered it. And then I third, I didn't even, well, I'm not going to, how do I put this without giving away part of the, part of the, how the sausage is made. Um, There's more to it than people think that there is. I'll just say that. And some, some of the original guys were like super salty. And I understand it. Like I said, that, they felt like we kind of picked up on their their little baby and turned it into this grift, you know, that is like the podcast and stuff. Oh, sure. But it's not the thing about it is it's just guys. I, I would I would actually would think we should probably call it something else, other if it wasn't already so, you know, um cemented that it's the tower thing, because we talk about towers on the show. And for those of you all that don't know, if you're listening to this, you probably know, but what a tower is when I refer to that. That's whenever each person posts one letter to make a vertical text underneath somebody. Like uh, they did one to this Tessa Tessa Duval, I think is her name. Some something, a journalist, blue check, and she like took pictures of it, and she was like, "We have domestic terrorists coming after us." So we've had we've done things on people that and by the way it's to it's to spell out something that you could not tweet without getting banned or in severe trouble oh sure like like either threats of or you know not threats of violence but like the c word for instance well that yeah that would that would definitely have helped if i didn't type it and did a tower form but <laughs> <laughs> messages that would get you banned that, that have to do with violence or some other you know anything sure, that'll get yeah. you in trouble and everybody posts one letter because what are they going to do ban you for posting one letter, you really can't do that. So you'll see messages that that are really, really like mean or uh, inflammatory. That are that's why it's done one letter at a time. And it's just a bunch of different people that are coming together to make send this one message to this person. That's what a tower is: is the the series of vertical letters that spell out the message. And uh, the I would the thing about the Tower Gang podcast is they had these people that were really, really getting angry about it. Because like I said, they they felt like we took this thing and just kind of co-opted it as our own and made a whole brand out of it. Like even even like Top Lobster has a Tower Gang shirt. And I get it. And I I was just like, they, they were talking about how we were going to make money off of the podcast and everything. I'm like, I don't, it's just, it's just guys who get together and talk shit. It's not, 
it's not what you think it is. I promise, guys. Like, it's not, it's just us talking shit and just shoot. Like, we had Robbie the Fire Bernstein on. And that was awesome. It's like that, that's not, that's not a, that's just us talking to people that we like and think are cool. Like at the time of this recording, it's Sunday. We do it on Mondays. And this coming episode, which would be tomorrow, May 24th, I don't know when this is airing, but yeah, we're not going to be like June, Yeah. So by now, uh, by now, when you're listening to this, this, these, these, uh, this episode will already happen, but we're scheduled to have you, James, for the, for the honest, James Gentleman, who, if you haven't heard of him, you should check him out. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and Magnus Panvidia tomorrow, uh, May twenty fourth. Well, not tomorrow as you're listening to this, but uh, anyway, it's just it's just us getting together and shooting the shit and talking about drama in the libertarian Twitterverse. That's really all that is. So, man, I can't believe there's like conflict on that. Although, come to think of it, I was I was part of like the the B team tower gang for a little bit although it just started taking up too much of my time yeah and uh i created a i created a fake twitter account and even like registered a domain for that gfy industries uh oh okay i was like the gfy industries hr manager or something like that oh that was you yeah that was me i was uh i think i deleted the account because i felt like i kind of felt bad for like stomping on these people's thing um, but on the other hand i was gonna like offer to them to you know run their site and monetize it and stuff so I don't know. And, you know, I didn't get any bad reactions from them either. I, in fact, I even like messaged PQ and was like, Hey, you know, I'm starting this Twitter account. Is it, is it cool with you? Like if I, if I steal this brand a little bit and he was like, yeah, that's fine. So yeah. I, it's, it's weird that there's beef. Yeah. People took it way too seriously and thought that we were trying to take it way more seriously than we are. Like I, like I said, it, it's, it's like, I would, per, I would probably prefer if it would, cause I kind of understand. I would prefer if it was something other than the tower thing, but that's kind of, that's how we've been noticed by like Dave Smith. Like he's mm-hmm. he's talked about us. He's tweeted about us. We got Robbie the Fire on the show because people always spam him. There's a picture of the porn star Peter North laying back, you know, with his stuff just sticking up, with a fucking picture of a uh, like a hoagie or a chili dog just over it with with Robbie's face on it instead of instead of the guy. So oh, it's shit. like. We just got, that's how, it's just shit posting is all it is. And that's like, we've gotten, they got Maj Ture on the show just from shit posting. This journalist that Maj had a beef with or like newscaster or whatever that Maj Ture had a beef with. They towered him with special kind of bitch because that's what Maj Ture called the guy. He retweeted every letter to rebuild the tower on his own feed. And they were like, hey, you want to come on the show? And he came on the fucking show that we got, they got Maj Ture on. Like, and it's just via shit posting. So Maj that's all hardcore, it is, man. Yeah. Actually, I think I'd like to get Majan. Um, I need to figure out what I'd talk to him about, though, man. I, I, I'm not much of a gun guy. Like, we just don't talk about it. And that's kind of his thing. But I also live in the inner city. Like, I, I, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that we could talk about. Yeah. And in fact, I was, I was there at the LP convention last year when he and Nick Sarwar got into it. So, dude, that picture is that. so funny. He's just standing there. And then Nick, Nick is like, oh, shit. Cool. Well, uh, why don't we start winding it down? Um, your allergies are bugging you, and I'm starting to I'm starting to feel a starting to feel the the, the fever coming on. So, oh man, <laughs> um, I hope you don't have too bad of a reaction to it. Yeah, a guy I that I work with had uh, had basically had a flu for like three or four days, but he's like sixty. He's a sixty year old chain smoker, so that's oh, it's I'm he's not healthy already. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So uh, why don't you plug away? Tell tell people where to find you and all that. Sure. So uh, on Twitter right now, it's at Nick underscore individual. If I ever get my original account back, I'll go back to that one. But for now, Nick underscore individual. 
individualistpodcast.com is my website. I've been slacking really hard on writing blog pieces because I just have, I'm so busy, but my website is individualspodcast.com. Um, and my podcast is hosted on Anchor. So it's anchor.fm slash Nick Dash Ashley, uh, the individualist podcast. And I, 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 my pinned tweet on Twitter is always my most recent episode. And my most recent episode is with James. At the time of you listening to this, it will not be. I don't know why I keep saying this without thinking, you know, realizing we're going to, we're like two weeks in the future to these, or in the past to the people <laughs> listening to this. So I'm sorry about all that. I'm not used to that. But uh, yeah, if you want to reach me at anything, my email is on my website. Uh, and my the be- my DMs on Twitter are always open. In fact, I had somebody reach out to me very recently to uh, to come on. He just DM'd me. I want to be on your show, but don't don't do it like that because I might ignore if you just say that. <laughs> kind of give a pitch first, please. Okay, cool. Well, and I'll make sure to also link to Clint's tweet um, to raise money for um, Natoma, Kansas, because that is a pretty good pretty good cause. And man, this video on there is just heartbreaking. It is yeah, absolutely it's really, underwater. It's brutal. Cool. Well, thanks, Nick. I will talk to you soon. Thank you very much, James. Bye. All right. Thanks again to Nick for joining me today. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. If you haven't already, make sure to head to blackbird.substack.com. Sign up with your email address so that you never miss an episode or an article that I write. And if you're feeling particularly generous, sign up for the paid subscription so that you can help out the show and benefit from premium content as that is released. That's it from me today. So until the next episode, live free.